Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Our teaching text this morning is from Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, and verses 25 to 28. Now Ezra had determined in his heart to study the law of the Lord, obey it, and teach its statutes and ordinances in Israel. And you, Ezra, according to God's wisdom that you possess, appoint magistrates and judges to judge all the people in the region west of the Euphrates who know the laws of your God and to teach anyone who does not know them. Anyone who does not keep the law of your God and the law of the king, let the appropriate judgment be executed against him, whether death banishment, confiscation of property, or imprisonment. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our ancestors, who has put it into the king's mind to glorify the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, and who has shown favor to me before the king, his counselors, and all his powerful officers. So I took courage because I was strengthened by the hand of the Lord my God, and I gathered Israelite leaders to return with me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Dave Nelson. I'm one of the pastors here this morning, and we are going to continue in our study of Ezra, and we are in chapter 7 today. And I'm going to start you out with some philosophy. I'm not a philosopher, per se. I'm not somebody who uh, loved philosophy in school, um, but I think sometimes it can be good. So I'm going to ask you a question. Why are we here this morning? Why? Why? But like, what, what was the reason for you deciding to come to church, to come to this place? I'm going to get a little bit more specific. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to ask you, why are you here this morning? Ask yourself this question. Why am I here? Why did I get up out of bed on a Sunday morning when I didn't have to go to work, I didn't have to go to school, I could have been doing other things, why did I get up and come to church? Why am I here? Were you here because it's the expected thing to do? Were you drugged here by your parents? Um, were you worried about being shamed if you didn't come to church? Were you here because you wanted to hear the word of God? Because you wanted to sing? Hopefully what you're thinking is if you're really honest with yourself, you're saying, I came because I wanted to worship God. In, in American church today, sometimes I, I think we've gotten into this practice of, well, I, I come to church to see what I can get out of it. I come to church to see how good I can feel. I, I want to hear the great music. I want to hear that beat thumping. I want to just, I want to get my hands in the air. I want to praise God, right? Or you say, I want to hear a really good message. Man, I really want to be challenged. Well, that's great. Those are not bad things. Those are not things that you shouldn't be wanting, but that shouldn't be your motivation for coming to church. Your motivation for coming to church should be you want to worship God. This is a worship service. The whole idea is that we're here to worship the Almighty God. Well, what does that word worship mean? Well, let's look at the actual dictionary term or, or the, the actual term in the dictionary. And it's the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration. So let me ask you this question. When you woke up this morning, did you say, I'm going to church so that I can express my reverence and my adoration for God? 
First and foremost, that is why I am going to church. If you can't say that, I think we all need to examine our hearts and say, we need to kind of hit reset, hit the reset button and say, let me reset my thought of why I'm going to church. Again, you're going to hear great teaching, hopefully. Uh, you're going to hear uh, great music. You're going to be involved. We're going to pray. We'll do communion. You will, if you are engaged in those things, have some emotion from that, okay? But again, examine that emotion. Is that emotion because of what you're feeling, because of what you're getting out of that, or is it because of that humble adoration, that reverence to God? And you're saying, I have the Almighty God. I am in the presence of the Almighty God, and I love him, and I am thankful for the things that he has provided. I thank, I'm thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for the salvation of my life. If you are getting weepy because of that, if you are getting excited because of that, that's true worship. And that's a little bit about what we're going to be talking today. We're going to be talking about how God was using Ezra to call the people to a heart of worship. He was using Ezra, he was using the temple had been rebuilt, and we're going to walk through kind of how that looked. So pray with me here for just a second for our time uh, in the Word. Father, we just pray, Lord, that as we examine the heart of worship today, and if we examine um, what you are asking of us, so as we examine how is uh, how Ezra led the Israelites um, in this move to get them to turn back to you. We just pray, Lord, that you would help us to look at that through the lens of our own lives and how we can turn our lens or, or how we can turn our worship back to you as well, how we can have a heart of worship. Father, we thank you and we're grateful for your loving kindness and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we dive directly into the text, Let's look at a couple of slides. I want to give you a little bit of background, a little bit of idea of where we've come from and where we're going. So this first slide will give you kind of a, a good picture of how we've worked through these first seven books or first six books of Ezra, okay? So we've got Cyrus the Great, okay? We talked about him, reigned for about 29 years, and this is when Sheshbazar first took the initial group of Israelites back into Israel, Okay, left Babylon, moved back in, okay? They're supposed to be rebuilding the temple, okay? So the temple foundation is completed in that third year. Then we go about 37 years before the temple is actually completed, okay? So you go all the way through Cambyses, which nothing much happened, okay? And then we get into Darius, and then the temple is actually completed during the reign of Darius, okay? So it's about 37 years, so then we get into who we're going to be talking about today is Artaxerxes. Um, this is a little confusing. In fact, within the uh, pastoral team, there's even a little bit of, of disagreement over which Artaxerxes this is, okay? Uh, the, the, the good thing is it doesn't matter, okay? We can both have different opinions. There's lots of scholars that are on both sides of this, okay? Uh, and it doesn't matter which Artaxerxes it is. It's not going to change our biblical view. It's not going to change our salvation, okay? My personal belief is that this Artaxerxes is also would be known as King Artaxerxes. So if you think about like Greek lore and literature, the King Artaxerxes, uh, who is the same Ahasuerus, which we find in Esther, who Esther would have married, okay? So if you know the story of Esther and how she married the king, saved the Jews, okay? This would be that same king. So we've got about another 37 years here. So we've got about 70 years from the time the first Israelites are moving from Babylon, 
go through, get the temple rebuilt, and now you've got Ezra moving back in. Okay? So we're somewhere around 70, 75 years of time that has passed here. Okay? So it's a long period. So once we've got there, now we can start and say that first book, those t- that timeline covered that first section of, of Ezra, okay? the first six chapters. We're now in Ezra 7, and we'll be moving over the next three weeks into the second grouping of the, of the book of Ezra. The first group is when the temple was being rebuilt, and now we're looking at what's happening. Okay, the whole idea here is, again, God is now using Ezra to say, hey, the temple has been rebuilt. Bring my people back and help them understand how to worship me. Because think about it. They've been in captivity, okay? They were in captivity for about 70 years, and now that has been about 70 years that they've been working backwards. So it's been 140, 150 years since anybody's actually worshiped in the temple, Okay? So now you've got generations of people who really don't know how to do sacrifices. They don't know how, what, the, what the method is. They don't know how to pray. They don't know what they're supposed to be doing. Some of the priests don't know. They've never done it. Okay? So we've got Ezra saying, I'm going to take that responsibility. And not only that, we're going to see where the king is telling Ezra to take that responsibility. Okay? And so it's really, really interesting. Okay? So... Let's now look in at chapter 7, okay? So if we start in, we've got Ezra saying, uh, after these events, during the reign of King Artaxerxes of Persia, Ezra, and then it gives the next several verses a litany of names. It's a brief genealogy of Ezra, okay? It's not a complete genealogy, but if you look at the very last name, it says it's Aaron's son. So the whole idea here is to show that Ezra is an important dude, He's got some name recognition behind him. He's somebody that all of these folks would know, they would trust, and he's got the lineage to prove that he understands what has happened in the past, that his ancestors were high priests. His ancestors were the ones who would have done all of these rituals over and over and over again, and it would have been passed down. So when Ezra is is set up as the individual who is going to be leading this, this gives him some legitimacy. This says Ezra is the guy. He's the right guy to lead us into this next phase. So then we come down here to to verse 6. It says, uh, so Ezra came up from Babylon, and he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord of God of Israel had given The king had granted him everything he requested because the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And some of the Israelites, priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, and temple servants accompanied him to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. So again, we've got Ezra, okay, and the hand of God is on him. And he's a teacher. He knows that he's an expert in the law. He's an expert in teaching. He's an expert in all of the things that he's going to be setting up for the Israelites. And we're going to talk a little bit about why that's important. Because, again, you've got 70 years or 150 years of nobody having done this. Ezra is saying, I'm going to devote myself. I'm going to teach this. In fact, if we read down here in, in verses uh, 8, 9, and 10, 8, 9 says, Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month during the seventh year of the king. He began the journey from Babylon in the first day of the first month and arrived in Jerusalem on the uh, fifth day since a gracious hand of his God was on him. Second time, the hand of God was on him. So here we have verse 6, and now in verse 9. 
Okay? The hand of God was on him. So Ezra is obviously understanding that God is, is calling him to this. Okay? And we're going to find out in a minute that not only is that the case, but everybody else is going to see this too because the king is going to say, you are supposed to be going back. So three times in this chapter, we're going to see it one more time in verse 28 where it says the hand of God is on him. Okay? The first two times, it's being said about Ezra. The last time, it's going to be Ezra saying it about himself. He's going to be acknowledging that the hand of God is on him. Okay? So now we move into verse 10. It says, now Ezra had determined in his heart to study the law of the Lord, obey it, and teach its statutes and ordinances in Israel. So he's saying, I am going to dedicate myself. That's his job as a priest is to dedicate himself to teaching the law. And he's saying he's going to teach it in Israel. That's what he's doing. Again, we're going back. He's saying, I've got this great group of people that are going to come back, and it's my responsibility to bring them to a heart of worship. Now, it's important to remember that the law in and of itself, okay, is something that was designed to help the people be in communion with God, right? It was a way for them to understand how to worship God. It was a way for them to be worshipful to God. And, and, and Ezra is saying, I'm going to lead you in that. I, I want to do that. This is what God's calling him to do. You've seen this up and down trajectory of the Israelites over the years. They're faithful, they follow God, and then they turn away from him, and then they get all sorts of destruction heaped upon them and they go into captivity or to um, dispersion or whatever it happens to be. And then they turn back to God and they, we start that whole cycle over again. And they become very, very uh, religious and pious and they worship him and then they start to forget him and they start to worship other gods. And it's just this up and down cycle. So here we are again, we're in this cycle. And God said, hey, I already got you the temple. The temple is done. Now I want you to start worshiping me again. And that's what Ezra is going to do, is he's going to help them worship. Then we look here and we go through um, two different letters, two different decrees from Artaxerxes. Okay? So verses 11 through 20 is simply a decree from Artaxerxes to Ezra, basically saying, Ezra, you're an expert in the law, and I want you to go back and take the Levites, the priests, anybody that wants to go with you, and you set up a system to worship your God and to judge those uh, who don't worship him correctly. That's it, okay? So that's those 11 verses, or those, those 10 verses. The next several verses then, uh, starting at 21 going through 24, is another decree to the treasurers of the area that is west of the Euphrates. So if you think about kind of what this looks like, Sometimes it's hard for us in America because the U.S. is such a huge country. We, we sometimes lose spatial recognition. So the Euphrates River kind of goes like this, okay? And then you've got Babylon over here, directly east of Babylon. Sorry, directly west of Babylon is, uh, uh, is Jerusalem, okay? And then the Mediterranean Sea is not too far back over there. It's about 500 miles, 400, 500 miles between them as the crow flies. Problem is, is that's all desert in there. So Ezra is going to be taking these people north along the Euphrates and then coming back around and then doing a big arc and then coming back in. And so what, what Artaxerxes has said is, hey, by the way, we, we're going to give you everything you need. 
because the hand of God is on you, and this is what I've commanded you. And oh, treasurers in all of these regions, give the Israelites whatever they need as they go. Right? And those are the two main components of this letter. Ezra, go do this. Okay? So again, we're seeing, we, we spent the first six weeks talking about God having a plan for his people and how he's stirring the hearts of, 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 of King Cyrus, how he stirred the hearts of the Israelites. Right? We're seeing that the hand of God is on Ezra now. We're seeing that the hand of God is on Artaxerxes. So God is working his plan through believers and unbelievers alike. It's a continuous process. It's something that we see nonstop over and over and over again. And that's what's happening again here. We've got Artaxerxes saying, I'm commissioning Ezra to do this. God telling Artaxerxes to do that. God telling Ezra to do it. And then him providing the means for this to occur. So that these folks don't have to worry about what's going to happen. Because this is not just a bunch of healthy, strong men making this 900-mile, four-month journey. This is women, children, the elderly, their possessions, their belongings. They probably were walking about 10 miles a day. And they were going to need food and sustenance and everything else because they can't take it all with them. So this, again, was God providing this for them as they get through there. And then we move into verse 25. And I really like this here because this is Ezra then calling back, and, and, and it's actually Artaxerxes coming back to Ezra and giving him his command, but then also Ezra finishing out the chapter, worshiping God because of this. So it starts in verse 25, and so this is Artaxerxes saying, and you, Ezra, according to God's wisdom that you possess, appoint magistrates and judges to judge all the people in the region west of the Euphrates who know the laws of your God and to teach anyone who does not know them. Again, God understands they haven't been around for 150 years with a temple. They don't always know what they're supposed to do. So he's giving them the opportunity to relearn this. And he's giving, he's putting his hand on Artaxerxes and saying, hey, command this. He's putting his, his uh, hand on Ezra and saying, you go do it. And so together with them, it's a very solid command to say, this is what we want to see happen. So it's, again, God using human people, is using believers and unbelievers to accomplish his plan. And his plan is to be worshipped throughout the land, throughout the world. So it continues in verse 26. It says, anyone who does not keep the law of your God and the law of the king, let, them appropriate, let the appropriate judgment be executed against him, whether death, banishment, confiscation, or property or imprisonment. And this is the king just kind of adding a little bit in there saying, hey, this is serious, okay? If you're going to go, go and worship your God and, and, and follow the law, okay? And then in verse 27, this is where Ezra just comes back and he recognizes, he knows the hand of God is on him. He knows what's happening. He sees this plan unfolding. He sees God working in the pagan king. He sees God working in his heart, in the heart of the Israelites. And he says, blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who's put it in the king's mind to glorify the house of the Lord in Jerusalem and who has shown favor to me because the king, his counselors, and all his powerful officers. So I took courage because I was strengthened by the hand of the Lord, my God, and I gathered Israelite leaders to return with me. And there's that third hand of God, okay? Again, the first two times it was said about Ezra, this time it's Ezra acknowledging the hand of the Lord is on me. The hand of the Lord is on this situation and he knows it and he sees it. So he's clearly 
aware of what's happening and what's going on. <clears throat> so again, we've seen this up and down cycle. Right? We've seen them worship God, stop worshiping God, worship God, stop worshiping God, and all of the good and the bad that comes with those two things. And what Ezra's job is, is his job is to go back and set up the Mosaic law in Jerusalem so that they can have a way to commune and worship God. Okay? But when they look at this, this is not just a, a covenant with the Israelites. Okay? This is the old covenant. This is the Mosaic law. Okay? Think about a, a marriage vow. Okay? It's a covenant between two people. You agree to do this. I agree to do this. We agree to do these things together. This was a covenant between the Mosaic law is a covenant between the Israelites and God. God is saying, I will do these things for you. You do these things and worship me. And that's how we will be in communion with each other. Okay? That's how you will worship me. And that's the old covenant. We now are under the new covenant. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like. Because we do not have that Mosaic law that we have to follow. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a lot of good things in the Mosaic law. I'm not saying that you can completely throw it out and ignore it. I'm saying that that is not how we would be saved. That's not what we have to do. We do not have to follow this, rule, uh, this list of rules so that we can be in fellowship with God. God saw that. He knew that the people were going to fail, and he created the new covenant. He created the covenant of the blood of Jesus Christ through his death, through his sacrifice, so that we can commune with God directly. And what God really wants with this is he doesn't want us to just be rule followers. He doesn't want us to have just a list of things that we do so that we can be good enough to be saved. That's not what the Mosaic Law was after. Certainly it was there to help provide that, but what really God was looking for was our heart. He's looking for a change in us. He's looking for our heart to be beating after him, to be wanting to be in communion with him, to want to be in fellowship with him, to say, Lord, I love you. I adore you. I am, reverent, I am in reverent um, submission to you. That's what God wants, is he wants our heart. Certainly, rules help us, right? And you may have heard the, the term, you know, obey first and your heart will follow. Well, that's kind of what God was trying to do here with the Mosaic Law. He was trying to set this system up so that they would be obedient and hopefully their heart would follow that, Right? The great thing is, again, under that new covenant that we have with Jesus, we don't have to worry about those rules. We've been given that free gift that we can just simply go after and say, Lord, I love you and I thank you and I'm, I'm a sinner and I know it and I'm asking you to please, please forgive me for my sin. Save me. I accept that free gift that you have. One of the things that God really wants is for us to recognize that under this new covenant, we have a pretty big responsibility. So in 2 Peter, there's a, a principle that we talk about called the priesthood of all believers. Okay? So in Christianity, this is something we talk a lot about, priesthood of all believers. And 2 Peter is where we get that from. Okay? So chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, reads like this. It says, as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as a living stone, a spiritual house, you are a spiritual house of God. The temple in Ezra time was the house of God, the spiritual house of God. The temple is not required under the new covenant. 
We, our bodies, are a temple to God. And then it continues. It says, uh, a spiritual house are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are also priests. We are both the temple and the priest. The priesthood of all believers. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have accepted him as your savior, you are a temple, your body is a temple, the Holy Spirit resides in you. God resides in you. And you can worship him directly. You do not need an intermediary. You do not need somebody to mediate on your behalf. You have direct access to God. And you are called to worship him. Now, that's both a privilege and a responsibility. The privilege is we can do this freely, right? I can worship God at any point in time. God is always with me. No matter where I'm at, God is with me at all times. I have always got his temple, my body, and I have always got him with me, and I can be in reverent adoration to him at any point in time. It's also, however, a deep responsibility because we just talked about Ezra, and what did he say he was going to do? He was going to devote himself to studying of the word, teaching of the law. Well, as priests under the new covenant, that responsibility falls to us. You certainly can watch me do this, or Parker, or Tom, or anybody else, right? And, and we can teach, okay? but that does not absolve you of that same responsibility. If you're a father in this room, I'm going to speak directly to you, right? You cannot abdicate your responsibility to teach your children, the word of the Lord to the pastors, the youth pastors, Sunday school teachers, it is your responsibility. Now, that does not mean you have to do it all. I struggled with this early on in our family. Uh, we homeschooled our kids um, for, for typically through eighth grade, one of them through sixth grade. Um, and I struggled a little bit because I, I knew this. I knew it was my responsibility to lead my family and to teach my family. And for a while, I... I I felt guilty because I was not the one that was always doing it. I felt like, well, I, I'm supposed to be doing it. It's my calling. I'm supposed to be doing it. And I realized I can, I can be okay letting my wife do some of these things. I can let my grandparents. I can let some of our friends. I can let Sunday school teachers. I can let other people be involved with that process. But I'm the one responsible for making sure that it's actually happening, that it's happening correctly, Okay. If you're not a father, this still applies to you, okay? You still have the responsibility to teach those around you. You still have a responsibility to spread the gospel, to teach the word, to talk to your neighbor, to talk to your friends, to talk to your, your coworkers, talk to your relatives, okay? And be giving them an idea of what it means to have freedom in Christ, what it means to have that salvation, what it means to have God living in you. So you don't get a pass, okay? As we're, as we're in this together, as we're looking at this, we all have the same responsibility. Now, some of us exercise that responsibility in different ways, and that's okay. Not everybody is called to do it the same way. Not everybody's called to be a, a preacher that stands in front of a group. Not everybody's called to be a small group leader. Not everybody's called to be a, a father or mother. Not everybody's called to be a missionary to a foreign country. But each and every one of us is called to be a priest, and to worship God, and to show others how to worship God. That's what we're called to do. So I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to ask you a few questions, actually. 
Are you pursuing God in preparation to be a priest? Are you looking at that? Are you pursuing God? Are you actively working to say, how can I become a better priest? And I know it's kind of weird to say. A lot of times we think of that in like Catholic term and, you know, big collar and those types of things. That's not what we're talking about here. We're simply being somebody that is worshiping and helping others worship God. That's what we're talking about. So how are you preparing yourself? When you came in here this morning, were you preparing your heart for worship? When you started, did you start last night? When you went to bed or even in the afternoon, did you pray and say, Lord, I'm even now beginning to prepare my heart for worship. Please lead me to a point and help me push out the distractions. Were you thinking about that this morning when you woke up? Were you doing other things? I, I get it. Sunday mornings, I had four kids. I have four kids. Jenny and I know the frustration and the hassle of getting kids ready in the morning and getting out the door. And sometimes out in the parking lot, there's different conversations being had than what you had when you walked in the front door. Okay? I get it. I know. Okay? There's lots of distractions out there. The question, though, becomes, did you let those distractions continue or did you say, Lord, I am here to worship you and I am going to clear my head, I'm going to clear my thoughts, and I'm going to get to a point where I am in humble adoration of you, where I am ready to worship you, okay? So at Ankeny Gospel, we say that we worship in five things because, again, what we don't want to say is that music is worship. Music can be a form of worship, but music does not equal worship, Okay? So when you, when you look at this, we don't have a worship team up here. We have a music team up here that is expressing worship through music. But we worship at Ankeny Gospel in five ways. Through the reading of scripture. So every week we will read the scriptures. We will have somebody standing here and reading it. We will read it from the pulpit. We will read the scriptures while we are here. We will worship through prayer. We will show humble adoration to God through our prayers to him. We will worship through music. Does that mean that sometimes we might get emotional and we won't have an emotional response? Absolutely, and that's okay. That's okay, as long as that, that, that emotional response is not because it's what you're getting out of it, but because what you're giving to God, that you are so emotional about what he's giving to you. We'll worship through teaching and preaching, what we're doing here, and then we'll worship through communion. Again, this is a worship service. It's not a preaching service with some worship music. It's a worship service. Our whole Sunday morning is about worshiping God. And we are worshiping him through these five things. The great thing is, you don't have to be here at church to worship God. These five things, you can do anytime. You can do communion at home if you want. It's okay. You can grab a group of people together. Your small group can do it. And if you're really feeling like God is just calling you to worship him through that, that's okay to do. It does not have to be done here in this group. If you want to worship him through music, if you want to worship him through prayer, that's fine. Worship him through reading the scriptures. Great, wonderful. You don't have to be in church to do it. You're a temple. You're a temple that God created to be worshipful to him. And you have the ability to do that. So again, I'm going to ask three questions. Are you preparing yourself to pursue God? Are you looking at this and saying, I am a 
temple of God, and I worship him. I love him, and the things that he has done for me are amazing. I am such a sinner. I was a sinner. I am a sinner. I will always be a sinner. I have a sin nature. I'm inherently sinful, but by the grace and mercy of God, he has saved me from that sin. He has given me a way to come back to him. Are you so moved by that? Are you constantly thinking about that? that you want to worship him, that you want to just fall on your knees and pray and be so thankful that you can't imagine a gift greater than that. If I were to give you a million dollars, I guarantee you and I would be best buds. God has given you way more than a million dollars in value. Are you in him best buds? Are you in constant adoration of him? Are you willing to study the word and pray? Again, what does a priest do? Look at Ezra, look at Aaron, look at that whole list of, of, of priests. They are studying the word. They are looking to be able to teach the word. They are praying. So are you doing that? Again, this isn't something, I'm not, I'm not, trying, to, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you. I'm trying to say, are you examining your heart, right? Again, this is not a set of rules. This isn't, hey, you've got to do these things in order to be worthy enough of God. I, I don't care how much you read your Bible. I don't care how much you pray. You will never be worthy enough for God to save you. But he still did it anyway. But these things should come out again, that worship, that love for God. If you want to be prepared to worship, if you want to be prepared to show other people how to do something, you've got to learn it yourself so that you can teach it, okay? The best teachers are those who love the subject matter that they are covering, and so if you want to be a teacher of worship, if you want to be a teacher about how to love God, study his word. It'll, it's, it's a roadmap for how to love God. And then the final thing is, are you willing to lead others in this worship? Again, this does not mean that you've got to be a pastor standing up here in front of people. It does not mean you've got to lead a small group. It does not mean that you've got to even lead a group at all. It does, however, mean you need to be willing to talk with people. You need to be willing to have conversations. You need to be willing to move when the, when the spirit moves you, to actually move. When the hand of God calls on you and says, go do this, are you saying, yes, sir, I got it. I am willing to do this. Those simple acts of servant leadership are some of the most powerful things out there. Just your obedience, when people see your obedience, when they see you willing to step out in faith, those are the acts of leadership that people see. So are you putting yourself in a position to pursue that? Are you putting yourself in a position to be holy and worship God? When, when we look then at, at Ezra, okay, and, and kind of what his job was, his job again was to set up this mosaic system, reestablish it. It was already set, set from the time of Moses, but he's reestablishing it in Jerusalem. Again, he's setting it up so that they have this list of rules, this list of things to do, that covenant with God saying, God's going to do this, you're going to do this, and then together you would be one. You'd be in communion, okay? That was Ezra's job. We look at that and say, that's great, but what did God really want? He wanted the Israelites to love him and worship him. He wanted to be glorified throughout the land. And that's what he wants from us today. It's no different. We're 2,000 plus years later, and we've got the exact same situation. God is saying, I've given you a temple. 
I'm giving you a priest. Will you worship me? Will you worship me? That's it. That's the question that he's asking. So I, I, would, I would ask you this. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you haven't accepted him in your heart, know that he loves you and he has paid the ultimate sacrifice for you and that God has created a way, a new covenant. You do not have a list of rules to follow. There's not enough rules in the world that you could follow that you could get close to God. He wants to get close to you and he's given you a way to do that. So if you haven't accepted the free gift of salvation, I would encourage you to do that. There's nothing special about it. There's no special prayer. There's simple repentance in your heart. There's a simple way that you do it. And you just say, God, I know I am a sinner and I, I am sorry for that and I am thankful that you love me anyway and that you have given your son Jesus to die on the cross and be resurrected from the dead, to conquer death and give me a way to have everlasting life with you. If you haven't done that, I would encourage you to do it. It is a freeing, wonderful thing to know that I don't have to be good enough. I don't have to follow any rules. I don't have to do anything because there's nothing I could do that would earn me that gift. So simply ask him for that. We're not going to ask you to stand. We're not going to ask you to raise your hand, anything like that. It's between you and God. Afterwards, we'll have the prayer team and, and things like that. Uh, the, the, the pastors and, and, and prayer team will be here. And if you want to talk to somebody about it, if you're excited about it, we'd love to know it. Um, but it's between you and God. I just wanted to make sure that you knew that this was something you can do, that you have that ability, that it is free. It's something for you. So we're going to move now into our time of communion. And again, this is for believers. This is if you have said, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. It's for you. It's an act of our understanding that we have communion with God, that we have this bond with God. It's a remembrance of the, sin, or of the um, sacrifice that Jesus made to save us from our sin. So we're going to come up and get the elements and then we'll take them back to your seat. And I want you to just reflect for a moment while you're thinking about this and saying, am I worshiping God? How do I worship God? How can I get better at worshiping God? How can I lead others to worship God? So come on forward and, and grab the elements and take them back and we'll take them together in a minute. Thanks again for listening and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at or you can find us on social media at Gospel. Thank you.